This is probably one of those passages you're familiar with. Hopefully we'll see some some things today that you had not seen before. I know that uh, I was shocked by some of the things that I found in study this week um, and how we think this is just the evangelism of one person, but it's really far beyond that. It is so full of the sovereignty and providence of God. It is so full of the fulfillment of His promises across the board and across this globe. And you think, well, it's just one guy going one place and talking to another. It is way, way more than that. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read from Acts chapter 8 this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would come upon us with your Holy Spirit today. Open our eyes and give us insight that we need, that we might understand this and not just grasp it within our minds and our hearts, Lord, but, but that it would fill us to the point of overflowing, that we would live in obedience to you. And We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. From Acts chapter 8, read verses 26 to the end of the chapter. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Did I say Acts chapter 8 or chapter 6? Okay, Um, apparently I need more coffee this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 8, 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Remember that. And he rose and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth." And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please have a seat. What is chance? Chance. If I take a coin out of my pocket and I flip it, what are the chances it's going to land on heads? What are the chances it's going to land on tails? Is it luck? Is it fate? What is it? Well, is chance a tangible item? 
Is it, does it have substance? If it's not a tangible item, can it really influence the world in which we live? Does chance, some entity in and of itself, really affect that coin as it goes through the air to determine which side it will land on when it hits my hand? And I'm just going to flip it over anyway, right? Chance. Does chance influence creation? Did all those things come together by chance, those innate particles, and by chance form life? Well, I'm a Reformed believer and a Reformed theologian as much as that's possible. And I don't believe in chance, and I don't believe in luck, and I don't believe in fate. I believe in God's sovereignty and His providence as it orders this world. And, and I believe that God is functioning in all areas, and every molecule and every atom is under His control. But yet we have free will, and yet he orders the world according to his purposes, and there is no contradiction between the two. You might think, how is that possible? That is simply the way the Lord has ordered it. He saves us. He directs his path, our paths. Those things that happen are according to his will, but yet we are still free. Jesus said that the gospel should go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. By the time we get to Acts chapter 8, verse 25, it has gone to Judea and Samaria, and now it's time for the ends of the earth. And in fact, it is time for the gospel to go to Africa, and not just Africa, one person in Africa in particular. Now, Africa is a great, in the early church, is a great hotbed of theology and growth within the church. And we see people like uh, Cyprian and Tertullian and Augustine that come out of uh, the nation or the continent of Africa, these great theologians and early church fathers. Well, Philip is the beginning of all this as he takes the gospel to this one man in Ethiopia. Now, it's very important what happens in chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10 of the book of Acts, because three people come to Christ that give us a great representation of the gospel as a whole. In Acts chapter 8, we see the conversion of the Ethiopian, who is a son of Ham. Ham was a son of Noah. In chapter 9, we see Paul, Saul, come to Christ. Saul is a descendant of Shem, a son of Noah. In Acts chapter 10, we see the Roman centurion come to Christ. The Roman centurion represents as a son of Japheth, as a descendant of Japheth. How many sons did Noah have? Three. Uh, how many uh, people then are, is the world descended from after the flood? That's the answer. Okay. So, so in the greater theological realm of things, this represents the gospel beginning to go to all the people groups in the world at that time. The three descendants of Noah in Acts chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. Luke is showing us the gospel is going to all nations as Jesus Christ commanded. Revelation chapter chapter 5, John sees around God's throne the four living creatures, the 24 elders singing, worthy are you to take the book and break the seals. For you were slain and purchased for God, and your blood, and from your blood men of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation are saved. And this is the beginning of that. Now the passage I said is familiar, familiar to, to probably most of us. And let me review just a couple of the basics as we get going. Philip is busy in Samaria. We saw that last time. 
it, there's a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit going on in this, peop- in this people group from which there has been uh, separation and hatred between them and the Jews for some 1,000 years. Okay? And Peter and John have gone up to check on it and then to baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is, this is ministry going great guns. Okay? Philip doesn't have time. He's like a one-handed paper hanger. Okay? Every time he preaches the gospel, somebody is coming to Christ. And literally hundreds, if not thousands, have been added to the Lord during his work here. And it is the work of the Lord. I want you to understand that. Now, there was a Welsh minister back in the Welsh revival of 18, uh, 1857-1858. His name was David Morgan. And the only things that we know about this Welsh revival and its beginning and its ending come from his diary because it really centered around his preaching. And this is what David Morgan wrote. I went to bed one night as a lamb and woke the next morning like a lion. And for a period of about a year, God used me in an extraordinary way as thousands made professions of faith. And then, just as I had awoken one morning as a lion... In about a year's time, I went to bed as a lion, and I woke up the next morning as a lamb. And the revival was over. For the period of about one year, the Lord used him in that fashion. Why did it begin and end at those particular times? That's what the Lord wanted. The same type of thing is true here for Philip. Philip has been used by the Lord for a particular purpose, and now that purpose in Samaria is over, and it's time for him to go. Now, this is not what Philip would choose, right? Things are going great guns. Why would I want to leave a place where things are really happening? But the Lord says, Philip, I've got somebody for you to talk to. And he is in Ethiopia. He's in Africa. You better hit the road and get going. Now, what would you say to an angel that came to you in the midst of something that was very successful and tell you to leave it? Now, Philip might have said, well, well, Mr. Angel, I don't know how you address an angel, Mr. Mrs. Mr. Angel, I'm busy here working for the Lord. Why don't you go and do it? Or better yet, why don't you get some of those guys down in Jerusalem who are a lot closer to this, this person in Africa you want me to talk to and send them. I'm busy here working for the Lord. But that wasn't what the Lord wanted. The Lord wanted Philip to leave what he was doing at that moment and go down to the middle of a desert road where nobody ever went because it was hot and dusty and he wanted him to wait there for the man that God had him to meet. In biblical times, Ethiopia Ethiopia referred to that region which was south of Aswan, Egypt, north of Khartoum, Sudan. So this man was was right from right in that section, maybe a, a Sudanese eunuch, Uh, He was probably dark-skinned. We don't know if he was physically a eunuch or that was his title. I'm betting he was probably physically a eunuch because you didn't actually get into places of position and authority in certain uh, dynasties and in certain kingdoms unless you were willing to make yourself a eunuch so that you could serve and be trusted completely. He was a high-ranking official in that court, uh, the equivalent of the Secretary of the Treasury the secretary of the treasury of the kingdom under the queen. Now, Candace is a dynastic title, like Pharaoh uh, or Caesar or something like this, and he was probably in the service of the queen mother. And the queen mother was ruling uh, in the stead of her son, 
And during this time in, in that culture, the son was hardly ever seen because he was considered a god. So only the inner family circle would ever see him, and the queen mother would communicate his will to the people. So she was the face of the ruling family. This uh, godlike son was kind of uh, the, the real power behind her, though. And he, this eunuch, had all the purse strings. He was in charge of all of this. The wealth of this country came from iron smelting, gold mining, and trading. It was a conduit for goods. Goods were coming through this country on a regular basis. Now this God, God had so ordered events in the life of this one man, and the time is ripe for him to hear the things of Jesus Christ. Now this is the hand of the Lord at work. Now how many of us can look back upon our lives and think, you know, after the moment we came to Christ, we can look back and see how the Lord ordered our days to take us to that point, okay? How many conversations did we have that we didn't think of or much of at that time? How many places were we that we can now look back and see, oh, the Lord was really shaping me. He was forming me. He was moving me along the path to this moment where he would open my eyes to my need for Jesus Christ. The Ethiopian eunuch obviously has some questions. Some questions about why he is here. Some questions about what does it mean to believe in God. And he really didn't have an understanding of this, but he would probably be categorized as a God-fearing Gentile. So naturally, if you want answers about God and you're a God-fearing Gentile, you go off to Jerusalem. So he had made some form of pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. Now, when the Secretary of the Treasury goes on a trip, it's, it's much like a government official today. They have limousines, and they have planes, and they have security. Well, this is not just him and his one chariot. There is a retinue of people with him, uh, all servants and, and his people, so he can still do his business as he's traveling. And so it's a large group of people that have gone to Jerusalem, and he has been looking for the answers of what is, is upon his heart. And being a eunuch and being a Gentile, he could only go to certain places in and around the temple. And he probably did not get the answers he so desired because he was looking for some real meaning. Why am I here? What does, what, you know, what does God look like? What, what am I supposed to believe? And he couldn't really make his way into the temple because of who he was. So he was outside, and, and I'm, I'm guessing he got less than he wanted out of his trip to Jerusalem. So he's on his way back. But the one good thing that he did get while he was in Jerusalem, now think of all the, the vendors and the trinkets and the memorabilia. You know, if you go to a, a football game, you can go away with a flag or one of those big fingers or hats or, or things like that. He walks away with an Isaiah scroll. An Isaiah scroll. Now that is God's province. How many of you went to a football game and walked away with an Isaiah scroll? Huh? Yeah. Now I'm, I'm interested in what the scroll looked like. Was it, was it big? Was it small? Uh, was it the entire book? I mean all 66 chapters, that's a lot of scroll if it was. And here he is, he's sitting in his chariot and he's reading from the book of Isaiah. Now those two things don't go well in my world. Okay? sitting on a moving chariot with no suspension in the hot desert, reading. Okay, uh, uh, first paragraph, I'd have been sick. Okay, but here he is, he's reading, he's probably reading aloud, as was the custom of the day. And he's reading 
from Isaiah. If you had to pick one book from the Old Testament that somebody should read and you would come along and talk to them about Jesus Christ, it would be the book of Isaiah. If you had to read one chapter out of Isaiah, it would be chapter 53, the chapter of the suffering servant. And that is what is going on here. Here you have a man from a non-believing world who somehow has a heart that is, that is prompted by the Lord. He goes to Jerusalem and doesn't get his questions answered, but he walks away with the one thing that can help lead him to Christ and from the Old Testament, that is the book of Isaiah. Perhaps the best thing from the Old Testament, that is the book of Isaiah. Here he is, he is reading from the 53rd chapter. I mean, it is great luck. Huh? Isn't this luck? It just falls right out of the sky that at this moment this guy is reading it and some guy who, who was in Samaria doing great work is now standing alongside the road in the middle of this, what, what did I, I say pay attention to? Verse 26, this is a desert road. I mean, you can just see Philip standing here alongside the road. Okay, Lord, here I am. You, you, you got me out of a growing ministry. You know, things are really happening, and I'm standing here on a desert road, and I don't see anybody. I don't hear anything. There's nobody here to, 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 to work with. What do you want? And then off in, the, off in the distance, he sees this cloud, this dust cloud, and it gets closer and closer and closer. And in the middle of this dust cloud is a guy in a chariot reading from Isaiah chapter 53, and he's reading about what? Verse 32, he was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he does not open his mouth. Is this luck or is this the hand of providence that the sovereign God would so order the Ethiopian eunuch's life as to get him to arrive, reading Isaiah 53, right where Philip is at that moment? And he asks the question of Philip. Of whom does this speak? Now, I can remember Tony Campola. I heard him speak up in Pennsylvania once, and he's telling the story about getting on a plane. And he was so jazzed after this conference. And, and Tony Campola is uh, he's a sociology professor at a college in Pennsylvania uh, uh, pretty good speaker. He's, he's very Italian, and he, he warns you not to sit in the front row because he spits when he speaks. And he goes on. He's very demonstrative. And he's saying, I was so jazzed from this conference, and, and I know the Lord has somebody for me to share my faith with. So I sit down on the plane, and, and there's just me and this guy next to me, and he's against the window, so I got him trapped. Okay? So I said, well, Lord, I'm just going to wait. If you want me to do this, then, then I'm so jazzed, you, you'll open the door. So there he says, I prayed. The whole trip, three hours. I'm just praying. I'm, he, says, he says, I'm zapping him with my prayer. Yeah. And as I'm praying and praying, and we land and nothing happens. And he says, I'm so downhearted. Three hours I've been praying. Lord, I know this is what you wanted, but there's no action. So he gets, gets his overhead bag and, and heads out, and they're standing in line, and he kind of turns to, to look at the guy, and the guy looks at him and says, Mr., I'm, I'm in a terrible way. You know anything about God? <laughs> and Tony says, says oh, I think I can help you, okay? So how many of you have had somebody come to you and ask you such a question? Can you tell me about God? 
Can you tell me what this passage means? Can you help me understand what what my life should be relative to the things of God? This is what happens to Philip. He says, I'm reading this passage. The Ethiopian's reading this passage. And he says, can you tell me what it means? And Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from this scripture, it's an easy starting off place, he preached Jesus to him. I bet Philip could have opened any passage in the Old Testament and eventually got to Jesus. Okay? Such was his knowledge about what is going on. The Ethiopian says, of whom does this speak? Is it somebody else? And, and Philip tells him, it is Jesus Christ, the one who has given his life for us. Now, let's read on down a little bit. If you have a pew Bible, you'll notice that verse 37 is in brackets. If you have your own Bible, you may not even have a verse 37 in there. Okay? Uh, in, the, in the world of Bible translation, 37 is one of those things that... A lot of manuscripts don't have verse 37, but really it's not a big issue. You can see if you have a pew Bible, the note down at the bottom says many manuscripts do not contain this verse. It sounds uh, very familiar. You read basically the same thing in Acts chapter 16, but it is a question about salvation. It fits within the context, so there's no, not a big issue here, but that's just for your information if you see it bracketed or not included. Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, it's interesting to hear the stories of people and how they're converted. Some people are like Saul. Bam! Okay? I'm going this direction. All of a sudden, I'm going in this direction. Other people, not so bam-like. Okay? Other people, it kind of ramps up in their lives. Uh, there's the, the French hymn writer, Abraham Caesar Milan, says... Some people are awakened to Christ like a mother awakens her children from their sleep with a kiss, and it's gentle. And others are awoken like I was awoken, he writes, like Saul of Tarsus. One minute I'm an atheist, and the next minute, by the grace of Almighty God, I am a believer. Then there are people that fall somewhere in between. But the Lord works in our lives in the way that He determines. And if He determines that you need to be walloped, then you're going to be walloped. If he determines that you need to be awakened to the things of grace like a mother awakens her baby with a kiss, then that's the way that he is going to do it. Now, I want you to turn back to the prophet Isaiah, the 11th chapter. We're going to make some assumptions about the Ethiopian and what he has read. It's a long trip. I'm going to make the assumption that he started in the beginning of Isaiah and has read this passage in particular that we're going to touch on, and then another one that we're going to look at too. Isaiah chapter 11. These are some prophetic promises that the Lord is making. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11. Now imagine this man from Ethiopia reading this passage, this promise from God. Then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with His people, the remnant of His people who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. 
This is a promise that the Lord will recover those who belong to him. And you see it's listed twice, Egypt and Cush. Those are the same people. The Cushites resided in Egypt. And this is a promise that says God will come to them and collect his own. Those who were scattered, he will come and bring them again into the fold, so to speak. Okay, now, a few chapters over to 56. You tie these, you tie chapter 11, chapter 53, chapter 56 together with a guy from Ethiopia, a eunuch from Ethiopia who is reading the Word of God. Isaiah 56, verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. This is a promise to a eunuch who can never have children. And the Lord is saying this promise is better than having your name go on through your children. And it is a promise that comes right from the Lord and deals with His grace and deals with the salvation that comes with Jesus Christ. And that is the internal, eternal inheritance that is promised. And imagine, you've read the passage that says the Lord is going to come and gather His promised people from Ethiopia. Now you read this one that says, well, you know, my world is done here when I'm gone. And it says, no, the promise of the Lord is that I will give you a name, an everlasting name, which will never be cut off. These are the things that he is reading in the midst of Isaiah 53 as well. A silent as a lamb led to slaughter. In the rest of 53, he would also read, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. You know what happens next? He says, why can't I be baptized? And what do they find right there along the desert road? Water. Enough water, not just to baptize him Presbyterian-wise, because we know it's only the top of the head that matters, but enough water that he and Philip get down into the water, and he is baptized. You just don't find, by chance, that much water in the desert. Again, the sovereign plan of the Lord being carried out here. Now, back to Acts. One last thing. Now, the Ethiopian's not going back to a thriving church back in Ethiopia. And, and really, in the first 
two or three hundred years of the early church, the view of baptism kind of changed from the immediacy of baptism that we see here into a place where often they would wait two or three years to baptize somebody who professed faith. Because in those two or three years, they would begin a discipleship program so that after a sufficient period of time, the new believer was confident in what they would believe, then they would be baptized. But the eunuch's not going back to any church, and this is a, in almost a crash course in discipleship. So the Lord provides them with water. He is baptized at that moment. Verses, uh, ooh, we're getting the right book. Acts 8, 39, and 40, last two verses. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. He takes him all the way from Samaria down to meet this one guy. And you notice the church in Jerusalem is probably somewhere around 20,000 believers at this point. The church in Samaria is growing by hundreds and thousands. But all we see in the book of Acts are conversions by preaching. Here we have the first one-on-one conversion. And what did Philip do to lead that individual to Christ? Gee, he went to the Scripture and showed him Jesus Christ right out of the Scripture. And as soon as that is done, as soon as the one person comes to Christ, the Lord snatches Philip away and he's gone. Was he gone in an instant? That's what Scripture says. The eunuch saw him no more. And how did the eunuch go on? Rejoicing. His life had just been changed. The answers he went to Jerusalem to find have been found here in Jesus Christ. Philip is off in Azotus until he gets to Caesarea preaching the gospel. The life of the eunuch was changed because the power of the word of God was declared to him. Jesus Christ was preached. 1 Peter chapter 1, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. James chapter 1, In the exercise of his will he brought us forth by the word of truth. In Timothy, chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, he, Paul tells Timothy that from his childhood he has known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. How do you lead somebody to Christ? You tell them what the Word says. Because the Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. Tell them what the Lord has done in your life. Tell them what the Lord says to them directly. And watch the Lord do the work. Let's pray. Lord, this one individual is the fulfillment, the beginning of the fulfillment of your promises, that the gospel should go to the ends of the earth. That when we arrive in heaven, those who belong to Christ, we'll find people there that might surprise us. People from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue, for they have heard the gospel and their life has been changed. None of us will be there because we were good enough. None of us will be there because we were obedient enough. If we're there, it's because of the work of Christ. Because we heard the word of Jesus Christ. Somebody shared it with us. 
We asked questions. They told us the truth. You opened our eyes, and we believed. We confessed our sin and proclaimed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. There is a sweetness and a joy that cannot be taken away from the one whose life has been changed. Lord, the Ethiopian went away rejoicing because he now was different. The answer to all that he sought had been found in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would not leave this room unless we can leave rejoicing, knowing the answer to what we seek has been found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That he alone brings what our hearts so long for, for we were created for you. Lord, open our eyes to this today. Remind us of the truth that you fixed in our hearts. That we might know the power of Jesus Christ and of his salvation. We ask this in his name. Amen.